this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. So, okay, we're going to be in uh, Isaiah 6 and John 12. We're going to walk through Isaiah 6 first. And as you uh, prepare to walk through these passages with me and discover what God has for us, I want to remind you we're in a sermon series called A Different Kind of Christmas, where we look at the times where, uh, what's up, Luke? Welcome back from college and such. You graduated, but hey. Um, Sorry, sometimes I see people and I haven't seen them and I'm just like, hey, what's up? Uh, It's so good to see. I mean, I'm just, Christmas is about when family comes together to celebrate King Jesus. Like, I think when we look at this sermon series, a different kind of Christmas, and we recognize that Christ came like throughout the Old Testament and he's coming back, like he's the eternal God who's been here for all time. And we think about like celebrating Christmas. I think about like, is anybody in here uh, one of the people who just um, procrastinates on buying gifts? So quick, both times, Joy. Braden, okay. I can't wait to see what you got me, Braden. I'm super pumped about that. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I'm that way too as well. Uh, but d- does anybody, if you, even if you're not a procrastinator on the gifts thing, like just Christmas in general, just like it's so fast to get here and then it's just gone and you're like, all right, well, that one's over. You know, look forward to next Christmas. Is anybody else like that too as well? That's what happens to me. Like I get to Christmas and I'm like, uh, we're all hands on deck for Christmas Eve as a staff. So we're always just kind of like flying through, getting there. And then all of a sudden you celebrate and you're like, whoa, that was, it was over. Like it's just quick, right? Um, but what I remember from Christmas, and I've shared this before, is what Christmas in, does to families and friends. It impacts us in a way that, gathers us together, right? Like pr- part of the struggle with Christmas is that we have so many things to do, so many parties to go to, so many friends to see, so many people to call and check in on and things to send to people, presents to give to people. We have all these different things that just makes us like all come together and call each other and meet together. And we do all these different things and it comes so quickly. But I think what happens sometimes is we forget what bonds us together, What causes a bunch of people in America to get really crazy during the December month and get together and buy each other gifts and spend crazy amounts of money? What causes us to do all of these things? And you look back on it, you're like, man, there had to have been something that caused an epic celebration. Now, sometimes I think we lose picture of what we're celebrating, but I want to remind us today why things have changed so much. Now, one of my friends reminded me that uh, we haven't, you know, fully shifted out of a Christmas celebration uh, that is secular. But to a large extent, what happened was there was a secular holiday uh, that was celebrated by uh, the whole, well, by a significant amount of the world that all of a sudden transitioned into a worship of King Jesus who had been born and is God in the flesh. Like there was this dramatic shift into worshiping King Jesus. We worship uh, God during this season, right? That's what we do as a church. We emphasize the fact that we believe this is Christmas, Christ's season to be at the center and to be worshiped during this time. 
But not all the people worship God during this time. It still has a secular holiday to it. It was originally secular, but something happened to shift it. And y'all, I want to I challenge you today, this morning, to look at this, how God has over time transformed and shifted holidays, lives, whole seasons of people's lifetime have been given over to him. Whole civilizations have been transformed by the word of God. It has radically shifted politics, kings, and kingdoms because God came in the form of man, Jesus Christ. It changes things. Not just lives, not just holidays, not just kingdoms, but the whole world. This is a different kind of Christmas, but it's a Christmas that points to Jesus who is here for all time past and will be here for all time. He is the eternal God. It's a statement that we make to say that Jesus is God, right? It's not what all people have believed for all time. It's not what all people believe today, and it's not even what some who claim Christianity believe today. To say that Jesus is God radically transforms the holidays. It radically transforms why we gather. It radically transforms the life that you have and what you do with it. If Jesus is God, it shifts everything that we do, transforms why we live, how we live, what we say, what we do. If Jesus is God. So walk with me through Isaiah 6. It says in... uh, it says in verse uh, verse one, it talks about this King Uzziah, and I want to point you, point one out thing before one thing out before we walk through it. The word Lord is going to be used twice, once in verse one and once in verse three. When it's used with a big L and small letters, that's Adonai in Hebrew. It means something like the master, the king, uh, the one that deserves reverence. Uh, but then the second times it's used where it says Lord with all caps, that is Yahweh. Yahweh is the personal God of Israel. He is the one who has revealed himself, all of his glory to Israel. So if you see a big L, little, uh, little O-R-D, that's Adonai, the master, the king. If you see the all capital Lord, that's the personal God, Yahweh, in our presence. We see that revealed, as we talked about last week, to, to Moses in the burning bush. Um, but it impacts us today to know that there's a God of this universe who cares about us personally. There's a God over the universe who cares about you personally. Think about that. You see, I think sometimes in Christmas, what we do is sometimes we go so quickly through Christmas that we never pause to think. What if the God who's over this all, who's transformed this holiday and transformed our lives is with us? What if he lives in the person to your right and to your left? What if he's been breathing life in you? What if he's been challenging you? What if he's been giving you different places to go, things to say, people to be around? What if this God is actually a personal God? I think as we look through Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to see a personal God, but also a God who encompasses all of the world. Look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. 
Okay, so pause there with me. You see in verse 1, Lord, but that's the little O-R-D, which means Adonai, Master. It changes in verse 3 where it says, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord with all caps, which means Yahweh, the personal God of Israel and the personal God of you. The glory of God extends upon all the earth and throughout all the universe. God's glory extends throughout all things, and yet he's personal and loves you enough to give you his name. Even one step further, it says in verse 4, the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. What do we expect from a God who is so infinite and so powerful and so all-encompassing all everywhere? We expect a God who is distant. I mean, we have billions of people on this earth right now. There's millions, the latest calculations, I got a guy who works at NASA who's now on our staff. There's like millions, I don't even know, you could give me an updated number, There's millions and billions, I think, probably trillions of stars, planets. It's insane. Like the, the vastness of our universe. It's just insane to even think about. But yet we zoom in so closely to see a God that cares about us personally. Not just to give us a name, but to listen to Isaiah say, For woe is me, I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. How does a God of infinite power and presence, how does this kind of God react to a man admitting that he is a man of unclean lips? Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal, that he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. For a God this great to care so much about one man. Even I'm thinking about like even like tongs on an altar, an altar that ran 24-7 and meant forgiveness for the people, like such intricate details of the personal nature of God and his angels at work in man. Like think about how personal this God is, that he would create all things and be in all things, yet come and zoom down into Isaiah and say, you're forgiven, not just your sin, but your guilt. And a God who is, has this much glory and this much grace ought to lead to a man who responds like verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, says, I said, here am I, send me. What happens when the glory of God and the mercy and grace of God come to man? It changes things. It transforms things. The Christmas season ought to transform things. Not because it's secular, not because it's a gift-giving time, not because of the decorations, not because of all these different things, but because God came and dwelt among man in physical form to live a life we couldn't live, die a death we couldn't die, and raise from the dead because we can't. 
That transforms things. It changes people's lives in so much so that it changed Isaiah's life to the point where he would say, here I am, send me. Because he was in the presence of God in this vision. In the presence of God, it changed his life. That's not to say that all of Isaiah's life would be uh, easy and neat and beautiful and exactly how Isaiah would have predicted it. Look at verse um, 9. And he replied, Go say to these people, keep listening but do not understand. Keep looking but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. What a ministry calling. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, God, I know your glory. I know your grace. Therefore, send me where you want me to go. And God's like, okay, you're going to go and you're going to harden all their hearts. What you preach is not going to be understood. It's not going to be accepted. Instead, it's going to cause chaos and it's going to cause them to go further into their own hell on earth. It's going to cause them to hate more, to be blinded from what they could see, to not listen to what they could hear, to not accept the truth that they need to know. That's what Isaiah is called to. As we look around during the Christmas season, you may be in a place in your life where you're just like, I'm just so fed up with what I see in culture. No matter how you intake cultural news, whether it's magazines or podcasts or uh, uh, newspapers or the news on TV or a friend who tells you what's going on in culture, no matter how you interpret uh, the culture, you see a culture that is struggling with sin, Satan, and death, right? We see a culture that is full of darkness. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we ask the question, hopefully, What would it look like to light it up? How do we bring a little bit of light in the midst of this darkness? How do we bring a little bit of hope in the midst of pain? What can we do to make a difference? When I go back to Isaiah and I look at what God's called him to do, sometimes I think we have to just come here and go, but what if God is calling us into the midst of darkness and it's going to stay dark? Will you still light it up? Will you still be at least the presence of the light in the midst of darkness, even if those who are dark don't turn? It's a challenge that I've shared with our church all of 2021, and it's a challenge that I've had to accept myself personally. Will we just simply be faithful? Whatever that looks like, and the the fruitlessness or the fruit that we bear in the ministry that we do, will we simply be faithful? For Isaiah, faithfulness looked like going to preach what God had called him to do, even when people were going to reject him and not turn towards God. So we, as a church, should ask then, how can we light up this world full of darkness? What can we do? I want to skip forward to John chapter 12 with you to what Jesus would say about this and John interpreting what Jesus was doing and writing the words of God, how he speaks into it. John 12, verse 37, it says, Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. I mean, you think about like a world that is struggling. Sin, Satan, death. You see all these things going on in the world, and we ask the question, okay, what can we do? Church, what if, what if we saw miracles happening daily? What if signs and wondrous things were taking place Daily, John talks about signs all the time in his gospel, but yet the people still didn't turn. 
Even if we went into a lost, dying, broken world with the miracles of Jesus, there would still be people who wouldn't turn and believe. Our goal is not to change the whole world. That's what Jesus came to do. That's on his shoulders. That's in his power. Our responsibility is just to be faithful, right? So as we go into a world that is struggling so much in the middle of Christmas, and you may say, man, how can we find joy? How can we find hope? How can we find something to cling on to in this season when all we see is despair around us? I want to encourage you in this. It's the same thing Jesus experienced, and it's the same thing Isaiah experienced, and it might be the same exact thing you experienced. But our challenge, just as it was with Jesus and Isaiah, is not to make the world perfect. It's just to be faithful. So he says in verse 38, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, and this is a quote from Isaiah 6, which we were just at, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. It's like Isaiah literally was sent so that they wouldn't turn to the Lord. And that's part of God's plan. Not even, not even just that, but moving into the New Testament, Christ comes, performs wondrous works, is the most gracious, loving human being of all time, God in the flesh, and yet the people still reject him. And it's part of God's plan. It's amazing that a God who experiences this kind of rejection would still love us this much. So back up with me to Isaiah 6 again, and I want to ask you a question. In Isaiah 6, verse 3, where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, where it's capitalized L-O-R-D, where it's the personal name of God, Yahweh. Would you agree with me that in that moment, whether you agree with the Bible or not, would you agree with me that at least Isaiah is saying he is in the presence of the Almighty God, Yahweh? I, th- I think it's very clear in Isaiah chapter 6 that God's, God comes to him, speaking to him, revealing himself to him. It says revealed, revealing himself to Isaiah to show himself in his glory that it spreads throughout all of the world to save him. So reveal, save, and send. God has come to Isaiah. Would you agree with me? Okay, watch this. Look at, look at uh, John chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Y'all, who is the him? In some of your translations, you may have the NIV there. It says, it inserts the word Jesus, but the word is actually him. The NIV is just trying to help you understand who him is. But I want to ask you a question. Who is the him? Because if the hymn is Jesus, then in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah encounters this personal Yahweh God, then he's encountering the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Isaiah, uh, 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 John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. And spoke about him. About who? About Jesus. How can I say that? Back up with me. Look at verse 37 and 38. 
even though he had performed so many signs in their presence. Who was the one performing so many signs in their presence? Jesus. Who was the one that was not believed in? Jesus. They believed in God in the form that they knew. They didn't deny Yahweh. What they denied was Jesus. So when it says they didn't believe him, the only one we can understand them to be talking about is they didn't believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so if the him is Jesus, then in verse 41, when it says Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, the glory that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 was the glory of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. That means that for those in the world who don't believe that Jesus is God, for our friends and family who are in a denomination that does not believe that Jesus is God, like Mormon or Jehovah Witness, you can come to this passage and ask the question, who is Isaiah seeing? Because at Christmas time, when we celebrate King Jesus being born, If Isaiah 41 is telling us that Jesus is God, then God came in the flesh. And if God came in the flesh and God's glory came into this world and God's glory was present in this world, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death with our sin on his shoulders and raised from the dead because his father gave him new life. If that all took place, Christmas is worth celebrating. Not because of the secular traditions. Not because of the decorations and gifts, but because God came to this world because he loves you. How would that impact you today? How would that change your life today? You see, for the uh, Pharisees and for the Jews of that day, in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many did believe in him even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God." How would knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord impact your life today? Are we going to be scared? Because guys, look, if you step up and you stand up for Jesus, if you speak his name into culture, you are going to be canceled. It's not a question of if, it's just a question simply of when. If you stand up for truth and what the word of God says, we are going to be rejected. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself said he was hated by the world and we will be too. Your question is not, will you be hated? Your question is, will you be faithful? And during Christmas time, we have the opportunity as a church to stand up and say, we're going to worship King Jesus. We're not going to fight on traditions. We're not going to try to make sure that everybody in the world says Merry Christmas. That's not our goal. Our goal is to show people that Jesus Christ was born, God in the flesh, and that he loves this world, coming as the Savior, not the judge, to save all mankind. That's why we celebrate. Look at how this ends in verses 44 through 50. Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. If there wasn't clarification already of who Isaiah saw, it's so clear right there. The one Isaiah saw is the one who reveals the father. John chapter 1, verse 18, we saw it last week. It says that Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation. It reveals, he reveals perfectly the Father. 
So here again, 11 chapters, 12 chapters later, the one who sees Jesus sees the Father who sent him. Verse 46, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. It's almost the same thing that's said in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, where it continues to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus comes to save, to seek and save the lost, to save those who were sick. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's not that this world doesn't have a judge. It's just it's not Jesus. It's just it's not you. At least not at that time. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11 tell us and clarify who is the judge in the end times. It's the king, Jesus Christ. There is a time for salvation. There is a time for grace and mercy. And there is a time for truth. Truth ought to always be revealed, but it also ought to be revealed with grace and with mercy and with love. In a world that is lost and dying and broken, we are the light in the midst of darkness. We've become the people of God who have taken on the will of God in this world, who are looking like Christ and acting like Christ in this world. And if Christ is the light of the world, as he would say in John, if he is the light, then we now have become the light in the midst of the darkness. It's why as a church we say every time we leave, you are sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Because God has given you the opportunity, the challenge, the responsibility, the calling, and being sent to go into a lost, dying, dead, broken world and be light. So this Christmas, we can follow the footsteps of Jesus to be the light in the midst of darkness. Or we can get lost in the busyness in the expectations and all the decorations and gift giving, which I'm not against. I'm just for something that's much more important. His name is Jesus. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. This is, just for clarification of what Jesus is talking about, eternal life that he is promising. Life everlasting. It's never ending. It's eternal. Our world needs this truth. We have it. During Christmas time, if we're going to do anything, let's reflect on these three things. Jesus came to reveal the glory of God perfectly. John 1.18. John 12. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. John chapter 12. And Jesus came to send you and myself into the midst of darkness to light it up. It's amazing to see the similarities between Isaiah 6 and John 12, right? In Isaiah 6, God's glory is revealed. In John 12, God's glory is revealed. In Isaiah 6... God personally saves Isaiah. In John chapter 12, it says that Jesus came to save. In Isaiah 6, he sends Isaiah, here I am, send me. And in John chapter 12, and the culminating throughout the rest of all time for eternal life, you are now the light in the darkness. As he would pray in John chapter 15 through John 17.
So I want to close with this. I'm going to give you a challenge, but I also want to share with you a quick story. This, uh, this week, we got to return back to a West Baltimore high school, a high school that has been closed off from Bible studies for a long time that we had the opportunity to go to for a couple years. But when COVID hit, it shut down that opportunity. We had been able to go back for the first time in almost two years, we were able to return. When I left the high school, it was so exciting there was over 200 high schoolers in a room, pumped up. I'm not exactly sure they knew what we were doing and that we were talking about Jesus and we're singing worship songs, but they were there enjoying friendship and, friend, and, 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 and brothers and sisters. Whether in Christ or not, they were just enjoying people. There was a spark of happiness and joy at that time. When I walked in this time, I walked into a library with kids with their heads on tables. Every single student I talked to was struggling. They weren't there because of the Bible study. They were there because a teacher loved them so much that she invited them simply to come to this place. And they came because they knew that this teacher loved them. It was so evident and so clear throughout the experience. But part of that time, which has been a long investment in this one school, was just asking some questions and sitting and talking. Two of the individuals that were asking me questions eventually said three statements to me. Here's what they were. First, they worshiped themselves and nothing else. This is what we would define now in our culture as Satanism. Uh, it's not actually worship of Satan, it's worship of yourself. Second, they believed that all truth came from them. Uh, and third, they were the only protection and salvation that they could experience in this world. But before we get so quick to judge, think about this. These individuals live in a world where they look outside of them and they see despair, destruction, pain. This was on the same day that a policeman was shot in Baltimore. It evokes that pain every time they experience this. Over 60 people from their school in the past few years have died from being shot or from being in some form of violence. They see pain all around them and they ask questions like, if there's a God out there, how could I ever trust him? If there's a God out there, he's not trying to save me. And if there's a God out there, why would I want to worship him? After this experience, and, and y'all, I, I did the best I could to answer some of these questions and show the mercy and the grace of God. But I'm telling you, sometimes when you're in these kind of situations, you just sound weird. Like, I mean, honestly, we're just different. Christians are very different. We have a different message. We have a different idea. We believe that God is reworking this world back into creation's perfection in a way that is so countercultural and different than the world. But when I left that school, I got in my truck and I got on the phone with a friend. He said, to save his name from this, uh, from this morning, he was a... He's a pastor that we invested in, this church invested in, young pastor, sent out to Colorado to study at Denver Seminary, got married, excited to watch this young pastor go and flourish in student ministry. And that, the leadership team there, the pastors there have not met with him once. They've not invested in him. They've not cared for him or his wife. In fact, they've just hurt her. 
through her tears and his experience and explanation, I find out that they're most likely going to fire this young man. In his first few months, we're talking three months of being on the job. No investment, no discipleship of a 22-year-old young man. Church, if we can't be different than the world, if our faith doesn't look any different, then why would people want to celebrate our king during Christmas time? We are the light. We are the images of God. We are the representation that people are going to see of who Jesus is on this earth. We are literally the hands and feet. We are the mouthpiece for God. We are the closest to what people are going to see Jesus looks like in this world, bar him showing up to them. You are the best example of what Christ looks like in this world, unless he shows up to them in divine vision. And if we can't be any different than the world during Christmas time, how can we call people to worship Jesus during Christmas time? This is the greatest moment. This is your greatest time to be an example, to speak the truth in love, to go and show your hands and feet in mercy ministry, to care for the poor and the orphans, to provide reconciliation, to do all things to care for those who are broken in this world. This is the time to look like Jesus, to treat each other kindly, to forgive one another, to make a difference, not just to give gifts and meet for parties, but to show the love of Jesus Christ into this world. This is our time to show that Jesus is the center, that we don't just celebrate Christmas because we believe that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago or so, but that he lives in us. This is the moment we get put on a pedestal and said, church, what will we look like? How will you worship the king? What should Christmas look like? This is what it should look like. Can we show them? Can we be Isaiah? Can we be John? Can we be light in darkness? Can we make a difference because of the transformation we've experienced because Jesus has been revealed? Jesus has saved and Jesus has sent. Church, we got to be different than the world. We got to show a hope that is different. We got to be bold with our faith, stepping up and being willing to risk being canceled being willing to risk being rejected. As the band comes forward to lead worship, I got three challenges for you. Isaiah was sent to harden hearts this morning. Will your faith be edified and encouraged or will your disbelief be hardened? Charles Spurgeon would say it like this, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in 1886. He said, let us be careful to keep away from all hardening influences, whether of books or men or habits or pleasures. If there be any company which deadens us as to spiritual things, which hinders our prayers, shakes our faith, or damps our zeal, let us get out of it and keep out of it. If any amusement lessens our hatred of sin, let us never go near it. If any book clouds our view of Jesus, let us never read it. We grow hard soon enough through the needful contact with the world which arises out of the work, day, life, and business pursuits. Let us not increase in these evils. Shun the idler's talk, the scorner's seat, and the way of the ungodly. Shun false doctrine, worldliness, and strife. Keep clear of frivolity and trifling. Be in earnest and be pure. Live near to God and remove far off from the throne of iniquity. And lastly, use all softening influences 
Ask to have your heart daily rendered sensitive by the indwelling of the quickening spirit. Go often to hear the word. It is like a fire and like a hammer breaking the rock in pieces. Dwell at the foot of cross. It is there that tenderness is born into human hearts. Jesus makes all hearts soft and then stamps his image on them. Entreat the Holy Ghost to give you a very vivid sense of sin and a very intense dread of it. Church, what would you do if you knew that God's Spirit was in you? In Acts chapter 28, it tells us that the, the words that were shared in, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah hears, who will go for me from the Lord, are the words of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Acts 28. John 12 tells us that the one that Isaiah sees is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And the one who sent Jesus is the Father. In Isaiah 6, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect harmony. And God the Father sent His Son that His Son might send His His Spirit into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That is Christmas. That's why we celebrate, because the presence of God is in you. And if the presence of God is in you, what would you do this Christmas season? Where would you go and what would you say? What sin would you repent of? What would you do if you knew that the Spirit of God was in you? I think about it like this. If with God's glory coming to earth, God's salvation coming to earth, and God's sending, if you knew that the glory was in your life, would you go light up the darkness? If you knew that God had saved you, would you repent from all sin? And if you knew that God had sent you, where would you not go? Where, where would you go if the Holy Spirit was in you? What would you repent of if you knew God would forgive you? What would you be honest to share with your God if you knew he would forgive you of it? That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why Christ is at the center of all that we do. And if he's not at the center, then something else is. What will you worship this Christmas? As we close, I'm gonna close in prayer and Pastor Glenn's gonna lead us in a song called Revelation Song, and it's going to point us right back to Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, in John chapter 12, and in Revelation 4, from the God who always has been, and the God who always is, and who always will be, we cry out three words. In Revelation, it says it like this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. Today, will you declare with me as a church with Christ at the center of all of our celebrations, holy, holy, holy. Jesus Christ is our God. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this Christmas. We praise you. We declare your glories and your excellencies. We declare that you came to this world in your son, Jesus Christ, to perfectly reveal Yahweh, the God of the universe, to save us from our sin and to deliver us into freedom and to send us out into a world that is dark to light it up. So God, I pray that this Christmas season, our church will be a church that goes 
Our church would be a church that transforms, that repents of our past, lets go of our sin, and transforms and pursues holiness. I pray, God, that you would take away all the sin and guilt. I pray today, that God, that you would take away all the blinding cultural norms that we face and that you would let us clearly see you, the God of this universe, as we celebrate this Christmas. Father, we love you. We give you all praise and all glory. You are the God of the universe who is worthy to be declared holy, holy, holy. And we pray this because your spirit has given us the strength in the words and because your son has given us salvation to be in your presence. We pray this to you, Father, our Yahweh. Amen. you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.